Let's pray together. Father, uh, as we come and we consider your word, and as we uh, try to think it through, we ask that you would um, that you would work in our minds, uh, grant us to think clearly, take away fuzziness and misunderstanding, uh, and will you also work in our hearts? Will you work in our character? Will you work at the level of our desires? Um, and we ask that you would uh, grant that Jesus would be clear to us and captivating to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And uh, it would be helpful if you would turn back to page 11 in your service sheets. Uh, we're continuing our series in Colossians. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll notice that we've been in this same reading for uh, a number of weeks. We've got a few more weeks to go with it. And uh, we're going to be focusing on verses uh, 18 through uh, 20. So kind of the, the second half of the big paragraph there. And uh, each week over the, the course of the autumn, we've been asking the question, um, what does it take for us here at Emmanuel Church to be the church, a church that um, lives up to Jesus' vision for the church? Here's another way to ask the question. Um, what does it look like for Emmanuel to be a healthy church? Um, here's why I ask it that way. I'm aware that probably most of us are aware that it is possible for the church to be a very dangerous place. So uh, my guess is that, is that a number of us have had the happy experience of uh, spending time in very good and healthy churches, which is great. And if that's your experience, then you may not think of, it may sound strange for the church to be a dangerous place. But, but I'm also aware that some of us have experienced in churches that weren't healthy. And if you've had that experience, then you know what it is to be hurt by the church. In fact, all of us know what it is to be hurt by the church. If you haven't been hurt by the church, just give it time. Um, it'll, it'll happen. Um, but some of us have been hurt acutely. And then others of us who maybe uh, haven't had a lot of experience or, or perhaps no experience in church um, have heard of some, some pretty scary things. And so there's caution. And you ask the question, is the church someplace that I can trust? And all of those sorts of things. And my point in bringing all of this up is simply to say this. Uh, Emmanuel cannot afford to be an unhealthy church. There's just too much at stake. It's really important. And it's important, it becomes more important, not just when you look at our personal experiences, but when you look at Jesus. Because um, Jesus kind of has a reputation of being kind and gentle and, and things like that. But that if you read him, actually... Um, he has a lot of harsh things to say, and they're almost always directed at churches that, or Christians or his disciples who are, who are hypocrites, who are not healthy. If you read the book of Revelation, chapters 1, 2, 3, um, Jesus is just, I mean, he takes the gloves off when he's addressing churches that are not healthy. He's serious about it. And therefore, we've got to be serious about it. What does it mean for us as a church to grow up, to be healthy, and part of the reason I'm asking the question in that way is that in our reading, uh, Paul says a very strange thing. In verse 18, he says uh, that Jesus is the head of the body, that is, the church. Paul describes the church, he describes us as a body, as the body of Jesus Christ. And bodies should be healthy. How do we do it? What does that look like? All right, I'm going to 
I want to point out two things, two marks of a healthy church. A healthy church is marked by reconciliation. The story of reconciliation. And secondly, a healthy church is marked by ongoing transformation. Let me tell you what I mean. Take a look at verse uh, 19. A healthy church is marked by reconciliation. Uh, Verse 19, for in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile, that's a key word, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, to unpack that, we need to do a little bit of review. I'm going to ask a terribly risky question for a preacher. Does anybody remember what we talked about last week? That's what I thought. Let me do a little bit of review. Um, um, the, uh, so last week, we talked about how um, Paul says in this reading that all things, all things in the universe were created through Jesus and for Jesus. What in the world does that mean? Well, we said that you can uh, imagine the whole universe, the story of the universe as a novel, as a story. And like all good stories, uh, there is a conflict that is introduced at the beginning. Um, that conflict comes, becomes acute in the middle, and then there's a resolution. Now, um, we said that Jesus, this was last week, Jesus is the one who resolves the central conflict of this big story that the Bible tells, the story of the universe. And, uh, and we described it in terms of, of a military coup. So if you think about a military coup, what happens is a legitimate, uh, hopefully democratically elected government gives the military some appropriate authority. But a military coup is when the military uses that appropriate authority uh, to grasp power that doesn't belong to them. And when that happens, usually it throws the, uh, the country into just a state of, of conflict and usually tyranny. And, uh, and it disintegrates. Now, we said last week that that's a little bit like our story. Because the Bible says that we were made for God, designed to, to know God and to reflect God in the world around us, and we were given appropriate authority to get that done. However, we have all of us, the Bible says, uh, rejected God. We've used the authority God gives us in order to try to grasp power over our lives that, that isn't appropriate. And therefore, there's this, uh, there's this conflict and this tyranny and this disintegration in our life that all of us experience and that m- indicates that there's no peace between us and God. Now, if you go back to, uh, you know, how, does, how do governments respond when there's a military coup? Um, there was one in Turkey last year. Uh, usually what happens is that the government uh, violently suppresses the, the coup, Yeah? But the thing that's so interesting about Jesus is that he doesn't do what you expect him to do. Look at verse 19 again. For in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of his cross. Now, what that means is that when God was faced with our spiritual coup, he responded with a desire, and his desire or his good pleasure was to make all of his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. And the primary objective of Jesus Christ was to achieve reconciliation with the rebels, 
so to speak. Only he doesn't. He didn't come negotiating. God never negotiates with the rebels. He came in order to achieve reconciliation by suffering the penalty of their rebellion on their behalf. This is, the, this is right at the center of Christianity, and it's admittedly weird. Colossians tree, uh, chapter 2 says this. Puts it that, just listen. God canceled the record of debt, the record of debt of those of us who were rebels. God canceled the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. God set this aside by nailing it to the cross of Christ. It's a very strange way for God to respond to a spiritual coup. He doesn't come first by suppressing it violently. There is judgment at the end. We're not talking about that now, but there is. But, but his first move is to come, and in Jesus Christ, Jesus experiences the capital punishment that our rebellion deserves. And the aim is so that rebels could be reconciled to God, so that we could, instead of being uh, defined by tyranny and conflict and disintegration, we're instead defined by peace, uh, uh, intimacy with God that, by rights, is only Jesus should enjoy. Okay, now, I can imagine somebody coming back and saying, well, hey, okay, that's, that's lovely, um, but I thought this was about how, what marks of a healthy church. What does this have to do with the church? And the answer is, it has absolutely everything to do with the church. Because remember, in, uh, chat, in verse 18, Paul calls the church the body of Jesus. Now, now follow me here, because this is, this is bizarre. Jesus' reconciliation is for everyone. However, not everyone takes the deal. And the church, by definition, the church is defined as the church is the community of humanity which takes the deal, which says, yes, I'll take the amnesty. And when we take the deal, this is where it gets odd, God considers us to be part of Jesus' body. And therefore, whatever happened to Jesus' physical, historical body, in a sense, applies to his churchly body, this new community. So that Jesus' body died, and if his body died, then we're part of his body, and therefore, God considers that we have died, and therefore, there is no penalty left for us. That's a very strange story, but here's what's so important for us. This is the implication for you and me, for Emmanuel. The church is only healthy when this story of reconciliation makes us profoundly dependent upon Jesus every single minute of every single day for everything that we are. Part of Paul's point is that we depend on Jesus for reconciliation, just like a human body depends upon its head. Just think about your body for a second. Everybody wiggle just a little bit. Move? Yeah, there you go. It's okay to wiggle in church. Just don't touch the person beside you. Um, now, I don't really know anything about the body, but I, I, I understand the head's important, right? Like, if my, if my body is severed from my head, it, my body stops being alive right like that, okay? The same is true of the church. The church has no existence without Jesus, right? If the church is, by definition, the community of people who have been reconciled by God through Jesus Christ, then without Jesus, if there is a separation between the church and Jesus Christ, then the church stops existing immediately. It doesn't stop institutionally. 
but it stops in terms of its spiritual life. Bodies depend upon the head, and the church depends upon Jesus in exactly the same way. But that also means that as Emmanuel, here as our church, as our dependence upon Jesus is felt and experienced, and as that dependence is vivid to us and increasing, we will have more and more and more life. We'll be humble and we'll be hopeful. We'll be humble because we're not going to think highly of ourselves because we're defined by a story of rescue. But we'll be hopeful also because we'll be able to look at each other's lives and all the messiness of our lives and we'll be able to look at our city with all the messiness of our city and we'll be able to see that there is not one thing, there is no darkness too dark for Jesus Christ and there is no brokenness too broken for Jesus. We'll be hopeful and humble. But here's the scary thing. The Bible and church history makes abundantly clear that it is possible for the church to decapitate itself. And down through the history of the church, there are a few things more ugly than a decapitated church. A decapitated church is a church that relies upon itself, that thinks highly of itself, and is no longer captivated by Jesus Christ for every moment, every breath, every day. For instance, imagine here at Emmanuel. This is the nightmare scenario. You ready? Imagine here at Emmanuel, we begin to uh, get bored with the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not that we deny it publicly. We, nobody's going to do that. There's no reason to. But we just get bored with it. But what really captivates us over time is us, is me, is you. It's all of us together. We're like, man, look at our community. We're amazing. Look at our, look at our moral performance. Look at our outreach. Look at us. Look at our religious pedigree. That's the first sign that we're decapitating ourselves. And that's the sign, subtle though it is, that we are becoming a very dangerous church because what happens is people may come into our community, but if we are big on ourselves, then we will obscure Jesus Christ and we will become an impediment to people coming to Jesus. And friends, if you listen to what Jesus says about churches that act that way, it is, does not go well. A healthy church is marked by reconciliation that makes us utterly dependent upon Jesus for every breath. That's the first mark. Here's the second mark. second mark is marked by transformation. A healthy church is marked by transformation. Look at verse 18. Uh, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead in order that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, look at that little phrase, firstborn from among the dead. You see that there? Um, That's talking about Jesus' resurrection. Um, How does Jesus' resurrection impact the church? Now, um, it impacts the church literally because uh, the Bible promises that one day uh, all those who are part of Christ's body will actually be resurrected. What happens to Jesus' body happens to his people. And so that'll happen literally one day. But even now. And in fact, in the book of Colossians, Paul applies, later on in chapter 3, applies the resurrection of Jesus not to our future physical bodies after we die, but rather to our inward character now. What does that mean? He says this in chapter 3. We can't go into it right now, but he says this, you died with Christ, but you were also raised with Christ. 
and you know you've been raised with Christ because your inner character is being transformed. You start to look like Jesus. You start to love what Jesus loves. You start to hate what Jesus hates. You start to do what it is that Jesus wants you to do, and you enjoy it. At least you do over time. And that's the second healthy mark of a church. Jesus uh, intends us to be a community of transformation. And he intends to be a, a he intends for us to be a culture of transformation, a community where every one of us and all of us together are being transformed from the inside out, so that every hint of that part of our hearts that wants to stage a spiritual coup, every part of our hearts that's trying to use the authority God's given to grasp authority that God has not given, every bit of that is surrendered to Jesus Christ, and we're encouraging one another to deepen that surrender. We're engaged in each other's lives like we know each other. That's why sharing the peace is important. It's a symbol of something bigger. That's why you should stay for coffee or for potluck. But anyways, but the Lord's plan is that we would be a culture that's doing that. Go back to the image of Jesus' body. Heads, again, I don't know anything, but heads direct bodies, right? Okay, so the same is true for the church. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He died, he rose for us. He's transforming us from the inside out. Look at all that he's done. If he has done all of those things, then it, one of the things that that means is that there's nothing he can ask of you or me that is too much. And so a mark of a healthy church that is being transformed is that over time, we increasingly find that obeying Jesus is not a drudgery, but it becomes a joy because we're looking at the one who rescued us and we're saying, if you rescued us, then I can trust you even when you ask me to do things that look demanding or frightening or sacrificial or whatever else it might be. But then on the other hand, we become a decapitated church, a dangerous church. When we take Jesus' commands, we just dial it down a little bit. You know? We just begin to obscure Jesus' commands just a little bit. And it's always tempting, right? Um, when I was ordained, um, that's when the bishop lays hand on, on the pastor and, and, and they're made a priest. The bishop uh, issues a charge to the person being ordained. And it's scary. It's right scary. Um, it's the same charge that's been given to pretty much every priest for the last 500 years. And I'm not going to quote it, but I'm, I'll just paraphrase it. Basically, he says this. He says, Jim, he goes, the church is the body of Christ. And Jim, in the ministry that you are about to take up, if you falsify Jesus, if you try to tamper with Jesus as he presents himself in Scripture and make him, you know, more palatable, less troubling, then the bishop says you will be guilty of an infinite crime against Jesus himself. I'm elaborating here, but basically the idea is if you hurt the church, then you hurt Jesus' body, and therefore you are hurting Jesus himself. There's this moment in the book of Acts where Jesus, the risen Jesus, confronts Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Paul was persecuting the church. And, and it's very interesting because Jesus says, Paul... He actually uses his name Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul had never done anything to Jesus, but according to Jesus, if it wounds the church, it wounds him. 
Now, when I heard that charge, and I've read it many times over the years, it frightens me. It's scary. It, I feel the force of it. And it's a reminder that my job is always to point to Jesus Christ. To just try to present him as he presents himself in Scripture. I'm not the leader of this church. Don't ever imagine that I am. And don't ever let me imagine that I am. Jesus is. And therefore, we must depend upon him. The best thing, the only thing I can do that's useful here is, is to point to Jesus Christ and to call us all to deeper union with Christ so that we're dependent upon him for his reconciliation. We become a culture of reconciliation and we, we, we are directed by him for our transformation. That's the only thing I can do. But here's the thing. The same is true for you. Because if you're part of Emmanuel Church, you're on the hook for this. I hate to say it that way, but you are. And even if you're new, we're roping you in. Um, your best gift to Emmanuel Church is to be so united with Jesus Christ so that you depend upon him for your reconciliation every moment of every day and that that is vivid to you and, and that you're directed by him in the process of your transformation and then you reach out to the people around you boldly and say, have you considered Jesus? Let me encourage you in Jesus. How can I pray for you? Let's meet together. Let's meet together when we're out on the week. Let me, let's text each other and pray for each other at, when we're at work. Let's do whatever it is we need to do to be a culture that's encouraging us towards dependence and being directed by Jesus. That's what we do. If you want to be part of the church, that's what we do. And if you're not a Christian, then um, can I say this? If you're not a Christian here, hang out with us anyway. And help us stay honest. Help us stay honest to Jesus. Like, if you see us being hypocritical, that's a sign we're decapitating ourselves. Call us on it, please. And at the same time, let me say, don't stay outside the church forever. Can I say, allow Jesus to be your head? You can't get a new head without being, becoming a new person, so it's a big deal. But it's a good transformation. And as all of us together are, are helping each other towards our head, then we will become a body that is full of life, in good shape, healthy, safe for those who are exploring. A place of reconciliation, a place of transformation, and that's the only kind of church that's worth being a part of. Amen?